This is Ethan, and I'm here with Dave, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 217-inch. On this episode, we interview the former head of Scripted Originals at the Roku channel, Colin Davis. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. It's a podcast about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. Dave and Ethan's you don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. So, what do you want to talk about? Well, now that we are part of an Emmy Award winning film, I am very anxious to share my acceptance speech. So, should we get right into that? <laughs> Calm down, Dave. We'll get to that soon enough. But first, it's time for What's Happening in Weird Al Related News. The 75th Primetime Creative Arts Emmy Awards were held this past weekend, and Weird the Al Yankovic story took home two well-deserved awards. First up, past guests of Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, composers Leo Bierenberg and Zach Robinson, won the Emmy for Outstanding Music Composition for a Limited or Anthology Series, Movie, or Special Original Dramatic Score for their work on the Weird the Al Yankovic Story score. This is the first Emmy Award for both Leo and Zach. From all of us here at Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, congratulations to you, Leo and Zach. And next up, Weird the Al Yankovic Story took home the well-deserved win for Outstanding Television Movie. This is the first Emmy Award for both Weird Al and director Eric Appel as well. Now, there wasn't a live broadcast, but from what we can tell, the award for Outstanding Television Movie appears to have been the last award presented on Saturday night, meaning that the Weird the Al Yankovic Story win closed out the epic evening. Nice! Our sources say that Weird Al's real-life acceptance speech mirrored that of Weird Al's acceptance speech in Weird the Al Yankovic story. Yikers! I hope he didn't get shot, or worse, pee his pants! I'm pretty sure he's still okay, Ethan. But that's not all! There are still two additional Emmy Award categories to be announced. Outstanding writing for a limited or anthology series or movie of which Weird Al Yankovic and Eric Appel are nominated, and the award for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Limited or Anthology Series or Movie, of which Daniel Radcliffe is nominated. Those two categories will be presented live at the 75th Primetime Emmy Awards this coming Monday. Now this win also puts Weird Al halfway to an EGOT, which EGOT, of course, being an acronym for the Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony Awards, often considered to be the four major American art awards. And wind up your DVRs, because an edited presentation of the 75th Primetime Creative Arts Emmy Awards will air the evening of Saturday, January 13th on FXX, followed by the live 75th Primetime Emmy Awards on Monday, January 15th on Fox. From all of us here at Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, huge congratulations to Weird Al, 
Eric Appel, and everybody on Team Weird for the huge win. Okay, so can I give my acceptance speech now? You know what, Dave? Let's just wait a tiny bit because we really need to get to some other important Weird Al-related news. Okay, if you say so. The Creative Arts Emmys weren't the only awards that we were following closely this week. The third Astra TV Awards presented by the Hollywood Creative Alliance happened on Monday. Weird, the Al Yankovic story was nominated in seven different categories and won for Best Streaming Movie. Weird, the Al Yankovic story also won for Best Casting in a Limited Series or TV Movie. And Weird Al Yankovic and Eric Appel won for Best Writing in a Limited Series or Streaming Movie. Ooh, that bodes well for the upcoming remaining Primetime Emmys. From all of us here at Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, congratulations to Weird Al Yankovic, Eric Appel, and the rest of the Weird the Al Yankovic story team. Hey, the rest of the Weird the Al Yankovic story team, that means us. So can I give my speech now? Oh, no, no, Dave, because we have a collector alert. Just when you thought you acquired Weird the Al Yankovic story in every possible physical release, our friend Javier Valdez first brought to our attention that there will be a limited edition steelbook version coming out soon. Weird Al confirmed this news via his Instagram account, and Walmart briefly had the steelbook available for pre-order, but has since pulled it. And Ethan, wasn't Steelbook high up on your wish list for a physical release of the film? Oh, it sure was, Dave. I'm glad to see someone over at Shout Studios appears to be listening to me. Well, we will keep you updated once more details are available. Our very own Jackson Scoggins has brought another item to our attention that collectors might be interested in. Pre-orders are now available for stick figures, the cool, the comical, the crazy. A collection of portraits by acclaimed artist Drew Friedman. The hardcover collection is set to release on June 11th and contains over 100 full-page images, as well as portraits, including that of Weird Al. For more information or to pre-order, head on over to Fantagraphics.com. Attention residents of Franklin, Virginia, and the surrounding areas. Our friend Sharon Bailey let us know that next Wednesday, January 17th at 7.30 p.m. Burrito Burrito Time, Mondo Baltimore Presents is kicking off a new series of film screenings at Warehouse Cinema's Rotunda with a screening of Weird Al's only film that has yet to win an Emmy, UHF. For more details, head on over to rotunda.warehousecinemas.com. Friend of the podcast and showgals documentary executive producer Eddie Schmidt gave us a heads up that Weird Al's appearance at Vulture Fest from this past November is available as of yesterday for download. Yes, good one. A podcast about jokes has released a full recording of Weird Al Superlatives Live with guest host Jonah Ray Rodriguez as a bonus episode on their podcast. So be sure to check that out wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. You know, once you're done. And our close personal friend, Joe Jaffa, let us know that Jeopardy! recently made a reference to one of Weird Al's songs. Yes, on the episode from December 26th, the category was Just Eat It, with E in quotes. So, that means questions had to start with an E. 
Thanks for the great find, and thanks for sharing that with us, Joe. Also at the end of December, the special Dick Van Dyke 98 Years of Magic aired on CBS and Paramount Plus, featuring tons of awesome celebrities, including Weird Al. Al popped up as a talking head in an early segment, and he and his wife Suzanne were visible in the crowd a few times throughout the special. But the highlight came about three quarters of the way through, when Weird Al walked on stage, tripped on the ottoman, and sang the Dick Van Dyke Show original theme song. If you missed it, the full special is available to watch over on Paramount+. Plus. Our friend and artist Isaiah Ferguson recently posted a pretty stinking majestic stop motion video for Weird Al's song, My Bologna. Not only did Weird Al love and reshare his video, Isaiah let us know that the Bologna-matic 2000-inch label in the video was a nod to our podcast. If you're not already, be sure to go follow him on Instagram via at art by underscore Isaiah, and be sure to check out his other incredible work, as well as some neat behind-the-scenes content he's shared from the making of My Bologna. That video is pretty stinking majestic, and we can only hope Isaiah does some more pretty stinking majestic Weird Al projects. This episode is brought to you in part by Vegan Burrito Restaurant, Burrito Burrito, home of the two-pound double wrapped in a quesadilla burrito burrito, and Wizard Burger in Albany, New York. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito, your Burrito Burrito, and Wizard Burger for mouth-watering loaded, dare I say, beefy vegan burgers. From Albany to Uranus, Burrito Burrito and Wizard Burger feed the hungry with out-of-this-world, plant-based, real food, always vegan style. Visit BurritoSquare.com and WizardBurger.com to order ahead. All right, let's check out what's happening in Dave and Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al Podcast Related News. Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast recently released two brand new, ridiculously self-indulgent bonus episodes chronicling our time in Hawaii last year. Last Wednesday, ridiculously self-indulgent bonus episode 50 Centimeter, where we review Weird Al's first ever Hawaiian concert in Honolulu, was released to everybody. And Ridiculously Self-Indulgent Bonus Episode 51 Centimeter, where we review Weird Al's second ever Hawaiian concert in Maui, was released to our Patreon family. With the release of these bonus episodes, we have now reviewed every single concert that at least one of us attended on the unfortunate return of the Ridiculously Self-Indulgent Ill-Advised Vanity Tour. But don't worry, and I know you are, we still have a few more Ridiculously Self-Indulgent bonus episodes planned, so stay tuned for further details. Also over the holidays, we hope you were able to enjoy a very special bonus episode where Santa Claus himself read the holiday classic, How the Franks Stole Christmas. Ah, good times. If you missed the special bonus episode, you can still check that out, as well as the accompanying video over at patreon.com slash 2000inch and youtube.2000inch.com. And remember, our amazing Patreon family gets to hear all bonus episodes early. So make sure you join our Patreon family over at patreon.com slash 2000inch. You'll be glad you did. Okay, now that we are done with what's happening in Weird Al related news and what's happening in Dave and Ethan's 2008 Weird Al podcast related news, can I finally give my acceptance speech? Oh, I'm sure our listeners are just dying to hear that, Dave. But what I think listeners really want to hear is all about, once again, how Weird Al referenced my piece that I wrote in 2019 for the now defunct laughspin.com about his darkest songs. 
Ah, yes. We spoke about that one on the last episode. And actually, Ethan, if you look at the article in question, Weird Al says, quote, I saw online at one point that somebody has made a chart where they showed my songs and listed them in order by the body count, by how many people died, end quote. And to be fair, your article didn't really have a chart. That is totally true, Dave. I was surprised that the usually all-knowing Weird Al would remember something like that incorrectly. Well, our friend and longtime Weird Al superfan Lee K. Seitz emailed intern Frank to let him know that he created a webpage back in 2005 called the Weird Al Body Count, where he very plainly created a chart where he shows Al songs listed in order by the body count in each song. Wow! I'm surprised that the usually all-knowing Lee K. Sites would remember something like that incorrectly. What are you talking about? Lee obviously is a time traveler and based his webpage in 2005 on my article from 2019, you know, which is no longer accessible via the internet. Okay, then whatever you say. Lee, thanks for the email. And a heartfelt... You're welcome for inspiring your excellent webpage. Okay, Ethan, it's time to check out this episode's interview. Take it away. Dave and I are absolutely thrilled to welcome to the podcast. He is the former head of scripted originals for the Roku channel, and he is the guy who ultimately greenlit Weird the Al Yankovic story. We are thrilled to be chatting with Colin Davis. How's it going, Colin? It's going great. It's such a pleasure to be with you. And uh, we're basically at the uh, year anniversary of the release of the movie. Yeah. And, you know, Dave and I were at that uh, premiere, the Roku premiere in New York, and we remember seeing you speak before the movie. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I remember thinking you were by far like the best speaker. And, and I don't remember what you said, but I remember like, this guy's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so fun. That, that, thank you. Um, uh, I do remember what I said only in that, you know, in preparing for speaking before the film, um, I, you know, I had just a quick reflection on Al in my life, but even more significantly just Al in comedy in general. And I think, you know, as a basically lifelong comedy executive, you know, you're always trying to see if there's any type of formula uh, any type of shortcut to to making things work and be better. And I think Al, and I, I believe I said it in, in my opening remarks, Al was so good and has been for his entire career, and this movie's an example of that as well, of figuring out how to accelerate the setup so that you can get to the punchline. And, you know, that's what his music has been. You know, it's, you know that top 40 song. So you when you hear those first bars come in, you know or you have this expectation of what you think you're about to hear. And then he, his punchline is how he subverts against that expectation. And I, 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 the movie is that too, you know, this, this expectation of biopics and, and how they've been, you know, supposed to go and how they've been going and how ridiculous, you know, even the very dramatic ones have been. And I think what he managed to do and what Eric managed to do uh, is just a testament to what Al has been doing for decades. Yeah, well said. And uh, so you did mention, you know, you, you spent your entire career in, you know, comedy, looking for comedy. And comedy is very subjective. So what is it that you are looking for in a comedy? <laughs> um, I always am saying I'm looking to to make the familiar unfamiliar and the unfamiliar familiar. Hmm. Um, I think, I think you know, uh, when you do spend a lot of time 
in watching comedy, going to comedy shows and experiencing it, I think uh, you um, see things coming a bit differently because you're just so used to some of the, the formulas to it. So when, you know, artists and talent are able to surprise you uh, and make you laugh, because a, a laugh really to me is a surprise, uh, you get excited. And I think if they can create characters, dynamics, circumstances um, that are engines for, you know, a variety of different types of surprises, uh, you're, you're in really good shape. So I'm, I'm just always looking to be, uh, to have expectations subverted, to be, as I just said, surprised and, um, and to find, you know, the, the creators that, you know, have a passion and ability to, to know what they're doing um, and to know how to take you on that ride. Now, being a, a lifelong fan of comedy, did Weird Al's music and content, did he shape how you look at comedy or is he someone that maybe you discovered in this process? Um, yes. I mean, I think directly and indirectly, my first exposure to Weird Al as I can remember it, um, and I was born in 1990, so I'm basically about the same age as Radcliffe. Um, so for me, uh, I remember specifically experiencing Weird Al very directly when you know LimeWire was a thing and we were downloading songs and videos. And I think, no, I know, I downloaded, not even intentionally, uh, looking for Weird Al, I downloaded Jurassic Park, okay. the the claymation music okay, video, yeah. <laughs> and I don't think I knew what MacArthur Park was at that time. So I don't think I knew what the you know even source material was, <laughs> and and I was I was so entertained and so fascinated by that, and just and found that so funny that that's what kind of put me down you know the the Alapalooza rabbit hole, um, and wow. you know then the variety of different ways that he was kind of you know. I think becoming uh, relevant to my generation, um, you know, he, I remember very distinctly um, belting out like constipated. Like I, I remember, <laughs> uh, you know, like you know, white, white and nerdy, and you know, um, Amish Paradise. Like those were all things that were very much in the kind of vocabulary of my friends as we were in you know middle school and high school, um, developing our our sense of humor. And I think I think a lot of kids you know, especially in their early ages of, of figuring out a sense of humor, start off with imitation. You know, you're, you're hanging out with your group of group of friends and you're reciting what you saw on SNL. And it's like, who can do the best impersonation <laughs> or reciting of the joke that they had? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think Al, uh, you know, kind of made that really easy for us to access um, because of the setup and punchline that, that, is inherently built in his songs. What's sort of baffling to me is hearing about the struggles that Al and Eric had bringing this pitch to studio after studio, rejection after rejection, and it's just it's baffling to me. And I'm I'm really curious about you know how you first were contacted or approached by them, and and what that initial contact looked like. Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually, this for me was a real confluence of a bunch of different people I had worked with in the past, um, even while they were beginning to, to shop that around, Al was uh, guest appearing in new episodes of Reno 911. 
So I was working with Tom Bid and Carrie who were, you know, rebooting that for us. I was over at Quibi at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're like, we're good friends with, with Al. I'm like, that's awesome. And uh, then I started to see him play this like Ted Nugent character. And he was <laughs> so funny to see him in, sure. in that role. So that was happening. Yeah. Um, simultaneously, I had, I had done a, a kind of a, a very quirky but very cool comedy um, with the funnier die folks called Agua Donkeys. We had a few other things too. We were cooking up with them and their producers um, on on the movie. Uh, and then I had hired Eric um, kind of in, as, as a last minute hire to go direct a Kevin Hart comedy we were doing and, you know, was getting pretty close uh, with Eric in that process as well. So hmm. I had heard that they were kind of cooking this up while I was at Quibi, which is, you know, uh, we can do a whole podcast on that. Um, a, a, you know, <laughs> defunct uh, mobile streaming service, but it was really cool because it was, it was um, a, a job where, um, you know, I as a kind of millennial up and coming television exec got a lot more power than I had had in previous jobs um, because I was working directly for Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was able to to really say yes and say yes to a lot of things that, you know, uh, this young group of executives were passionate about. So I had heard that they were working on it. I think we'd even talked about, is there a version of this that makes sense for Quibi? Hmm. And then um, I was on set with Eric for this Kevin Hart project. And he was like, you know, I was, you know, I was talking about that Weird Al project. Al and I decided to go write it. And I was like, whoa, hell yeah. And he's <laughs> like, and then Al and I uh, also have it uh, sent out to Daniel Radcliffe. And I was like, well, that's incredible. Uh, <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's perfect. I couldn't have even, you know, begun to imagine that idea as Dan playing Al. But I also did know Dan very briefly because I was at TVS where we were doing Miracle Workers. And I had met him once and then, or a couple times and then, you know, was kind of around the first season production of that. And Dan is so hardworking and so impressive and so kind and got along so well with that cast and was just, you know, a total pro in that. So it was like, here's Funny or Die, who I, you know, know well. Uh, Here's Eric, who I have now a shorthand kind of creative experience with. Here's Dan, who is, you know, um, attaching himself to this project. And I had, you know, gotten to see him work firsthand. Uh, And then there's Al, who, you know, I've always is a household name, but also I was, you know, laughing out of my chair watching in these, you know, uh, early cuts of this new Reno season. And so for me, I'm like, well, this is kind of perfect. But um, where I was at uh, was, you know, uh, not yet launched and then the pandemic hit. And so the timing of everything, and I think this was ultimately fortuitous for, for this film, didn't make it something that like I could come to the table on at that time. And so then I ended up going over to Roku to run scripted there. And this project, which I would have thought would have found a home much, much earlier was still available. And between Eric and, you know, give a lot of credit to Eric's manager um, between Funny or Die and those guys over there. Uh, it came back onto my radar and I had, uh, I got the script, I read it, I thought it was incredible. I literally don't think I had a single note on it, um, <laughs> which, you know, wow. like network execs and buyers are, are frequently, um, you know, we're, we're, we're in quotes suits and, you know, we are frequently barriers to entry and barriers to creative processes and an antagonizing role. And sometimes we are enablers and, you know, we get to make kind of dreams come true. And I always like to be on the other side of it, but there are plenty of people that you will talk to who have received a thousand notes from me in the past. So um, I don't want to say that that uh, is a normal thing to experience, but you know, it's, it's so clear when you 
you know, know Al, you know Dan, and you know Eric, and then you know the producers, kind of what you've got. Um, and the fact that it was available honestly didn't discourage me at all. I think, you know, a lot of people who are in positions of buying things and green lighting things get more excited when things are competitive because they can go justify to their boss, oh, Netflix wants to do this, oh, Amazon wants to do this, and their boss can say, okay, got it, like, that's that makes sense, we should do it too. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never had that... Um, that kind of competitive, I, I am competitive, but I never had that kind of, oh, everyone else wants to do it, we should do it. I think for me, it's just like, if I can love it, uh, I'm going to want to be behind it. And so um, it got sent to me. Uh, and I know, I'm sure I was not their first choice. Let's be really honest. Um, uh, but I obviously loved it and then had to kind of go to work on the internal side of my new company, who, you know, had never made anything before. Uh, and get them to say, hey, yeah, this is worth doing and we should do this here. Wow. I'd love to hear more about that that process. What does it take to green light a film? I mean, you've talked about how Al came to you and how Eric came to you, but what are like the steps to get that final approval to say, all right, this is now going to be a Roku channel original feature? It's a really good question. To be honest, it's so it's it's different at each at each place. But usually, you know, um, I would say these companies have sometimes slots. Um, so, you know, places that they want to have something happen, you know, in old school TV, it was, you know, uh, we've got Monday night opening up at 8 PM and what are we going to do now that that show got canceled or that show had its finale and is done, you know, in T in movies, it was, you know, what, what's our big summer opening movie and what's our, what, what are we doing, you know, around Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. time? Um, so you're, you, you have this, sometimes an allotted budget and you start to kind of place bets on what you believe is going to work. And, you know, we, it's, it's kind of obvious, but it is art meets commerce, right? Like there needs to be a, you know, financial upside, you know, for these things to happen. Um, you know, we're not, Mm -hmm. we're not just making these, you know, for fun. So then you're also now going to have the conversation of, well, how much is this going to cost? And, you know, you're going to have a lot of people who are going to ask on something that has never been aired before, how much is this going to make? Um, and I think, you know, the the story of this movie, as has been in mentioned in you know your podcast, but also in publications, is that it was not an expensive movie. It was shot incredibly quickly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I've heard it discussed yet, but like, when they originally were trying to sell it, to sell it after they had, you know, kind of gone from from place to place, you know, the budget was originally half of what we ended up making it for. Um, so, uh, oh, wow. it, like, it, it's it, it's incredible that, like, I mean, it's it's still such a low budget film, and especially when you watch it, you would never think it was made for you know the price points that I think have been publicized um, sometimes falsely, but you know, around that range, you would think this is a 20 plus million dollar movie and it's certainly not and you know I think if there's anything I can take any bit of credit for other than you know obviously loving this which I find to be baffling that I was the only one with <laughs> the ability to say yes and love this um, is that uh, uh, you know got to convince my company to put up more money than originally intended and the only reason why I was able to do so was because I firmly believe that shooting this in Los Angeles 
um, was going to be beneficial to the movie. Los Angeles is a lot more expensive than I think some of the other areas that they had, you know, penciled out for, to do this. Right. Like, like Atlanta and some of these other, other places, they got good tax credits and, and ways to do it, you know, at a more affordable cost. But, you know, Funny or Die and Mike Farah, who's been there for now forever, you know, they're, they're so good at um, getting, you know, people to come and play and show up. And I had no idea also how good Al was going to be at that recruitment as well. I think he's <laughs> joked many times he's gone through his like Christmas list, <laughs> right, you know, right, like reaching right. out to people and, you know, like Conan O'Brien coming by for, you know, a couple hours of production, <laughs> you know, in his backyard is a lot easier ask than, hey, get on a plane. We can't even guarantee you it's going to be a first class ticket right. to come, you know, spend a night in a hotel in Atlanta, leave your family. Right. And um, that was, uh, I think, one of the best things we were able to do um, for them. And I think that they, it was funny even having that initial call, you know, saying, hey, we got you more money. They're like, wait, what? We get to do that? And that was, <laughs> that was probably the biggest, that was the, the biggest joy for me, you know. And again, it's like, and it's such a again low budget movie, so um, I was really glad that 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 happened, and then that those guys were able to just deliver on on that so well. With getting that budget essentially doubled, was the L.A. shoot is that the majority or entirety of what that afforded, or were there other aspects that were able to get added? I think you know, and 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 Eric's talked about scenes that they've they've had to cut and, and yeah. things. I think like if we had done it for the budget that we initially had discussed, and that was kind of my first conversation in to get Roku, which, you know, responsibly doesn't want to spend a lot of money, especially in their first kind of moves into scripted. Yeah. Um, there would, they would have had to rewrite the script and rewrite scenes and, you know, truncate things. Uh, and I, mm-hmm. and you know, there would have been less that you would have seen in this version. I think it was the fact that they didn't have to cut uh, or work around or shoot even faster than they already did, uh, which I just have to keep acknowledging was incredibly hard to do in the first place. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I think that's where the 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 value was added. I don't think it was necessarily had we pl- it, it wasn't a plus up as much as it was a um, a an opportunity to preserve as close right, to right, what they right. were trying to envision. Oh, that's so cool. That yeah, that that is not something I'd ever heard before. That's really incredible. Um, and it, we have a lot to talk about, but I just want to take this moment to just thank you for all that you did, because, you know, especially for myself and for Dave and for our listeners and, and other Weird Al fans, this is just like a dream come true, getting this film and, and have it as incredible as it is. So it really, it, it made a huge impact on us. And so just really a heartfelt thank you for what you did and for believing in this. That's way too kind. I'm going to hang on to that. Thank you. Cause so much of my job is saying no and disappointing people. <laughs> um, so I will, I will, uh, I will, I will, I will cherish that even though again, it's, and I think it's really important um, to always acknowledge that like, this is not me. You know, I am, I am just a, a, a cog in the process here. Uh, and without the genius of Al, without Eric, without those producers, without the talent that showed up, you know, many of which who showed up making, you know, less money than they would ever, you know, make on other things. And without their love and passion for doing this, this wouldn't exist. So this is truly, you know, a real village of people. And obviously we all know it stems back to Al and the love for Al and the foundation he had even on so many of these people's, you know, sense of comedy. Mm. Yes. 
I'm really curious about how the initial pitch took place. Was it an email? Was it a a Zoom meeting? I know you know COVID was still a thing at that point. What did it look like, and and what was presented to you in that you know official pitch? Gosh, I wish I could remember because I don't. It wasn't super official. Um, I think okay. you know there was a variety of different conversations, even ones that I had had at one point with Al and Eric. Uh, with the producers, I, you know, ended up speaking with um, Dan's manager, uh, who's who's great and incredible, too. Like, I think we were talking to a variety of different pieces of those parties just kind of in general. Um, but I do remember specifically this dinner having having this dinner with Eric and Eric saying, Al and I wrote the script. It's in Daniel Radcliffe's inbox. And me being like, <laughs> OK, how do, how, how, do I, how do I get involved? Um, and then, and then the follow-up that came, you know, I think eight months later, maybe even, even longer after that, when I think they had gone through trying to get, uh, uh, frankly, more reputable places to say yes to it. And I will say at the end of the day, you know, as I'm kind of, you know, belittling Roku only in that, you know, they, they had yet to have had any reputation for doing anything original. I'm so glad it lived there. I'm no longer there, but I'm so glad it lived there. I think the scope and scale that Roku actually has um, gets kind of glazed over when you're talking about things in Hollywood in New York where, you know, a lot of people are Apple users, but Roku's massive. Yeah. And yeah. that movie was available for free <laughs> in over 70 million homes wow. um, for people to watch. Right. Uh, you know, wow. so that that was a huge, huge thing and actually got it out to the world in a way that I think it could have gotten, if it was at Netflix, it could have gotten lost. You know, it could have gotten lost and Roku really stepped up, in my opinion, to make sure it, it didn't get lost for them. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, how, how involved, Colin, are you with, you know, promoting Weird the Al Yankovic story? I think we get pretty, we get pretty involved. I mean, usually the, that's what, you know, I think streamers' jobs are to make sure the things that they greenlit and get made um, get seen. You know, but kind of like I was mentioning about having kind of a pool of money to green light new shows, you also have a pool of money to market uh, your shows and movies as well. And so, you know, a lot of the conversation is uh, how is this tracking? How is this being received? What resources can we pour into it? You know, what are we doing to, to give it, you know, that pole position in the what we call the carousel when you like open up? you know, the streaming app and you see, you know, the first choices, you know, a big part of a show's success is being placed and being placed for a long enough period of time in a very clickable space. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was really helpful, really helpful for Roku um, and how they were able to kind of increase their their marketing and PR was that every time we, in the early stages, released anything about it, it blew up it got viral like dan came in and you know kindly uh introduced it at our upfronts which is where you go sell you know all your new stuff to advertisers to get them excited and that mm-hmm. sizzle and dan radcliffe announcing it went viral and a <laughs> shot of you know jack black you know was taken by a paparazzi and was an article and so you know it was really clear to roku that we had something here before it even aired because there were some, you know, enthusiasm around it. And, you know, it, it starts with the diehards, right? It starts with the amplifiers like yourself, who, you know, have your your audience. And, you know, when it begins to 
permeate beyond the people you would expect to be a fan of it, that's when you're like, whoa, um, we've really, we've really, you know, you guys, you guys have been and, and, uh, you know, listening to you and, and also knowing your, your enthusiasm, like you, you guys are part of what I call like the spark and, uh, <laughs> Without that spark, you can't you can't kind of you know fan that fire and make it bigger so that people come um, and watch it. So we are what they make at the factory, uh, according to Eric Appel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> now this it's it's sort of um, it's hard to quantify how big a, a streaming film is when it's you know there's no box office numbers there's no ticket sales there's no ratings necessarily the same way it is with tv i i feel like all signs point towards this film was a success for roku is that accurate yes absolutely it was definitely a success for roku when so you know you you said that the you know the the kind of the heat off of some of the publicity that that you guys were getting was it an early indicator when was it sort of officially like okay this is you know, a big deal. We need to pause the interview right there, but do not fret. The remainder of our interview with the excellent Colin Davis will be on the next podcast episode. A huge thank you to Colin Davis for chatting with us. We are so excited for you to hear the rest of this interview as we feel his voice and perspective on the film is an important one and one that we hadn't yet heard. Ooh, that sound means we have a voicemail on the 347 Spatula Hotline, the official hotline of Dave Nathan's 2008 Weird Al podcast. All right, intern Frank, let's hear that voicemail. Hey, this is Claire, and I'm calling in to say to Newman, I loved listening to the episode today, and I was really happy when you mentioned what it meant to be a woman in your field. That was very inspiring, and I was very happy to hear you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for that call, Claire. We agree that Newman is the greatest. We'll be sure to pass that message along to her for you. Whoa, I guess we got another call on the 347 spatula hotline. All right, Frank. Hey, Dave and Ethan, this is Ron. I just got back from purchasing a copy of your movie, Weird the Al Yankovic Story. And I'm glad to see that you guys also made a few deleted scenes. You all have a great day, and thank you very much. Ron, thank you so much for the call, and thank you for picking up our Emmy Award-winning film. As you know, Ron, our naturalistic performances as extras in the biker bar are a big reason why our movie got eight Emmy nominations. Wow, we sure are popular. Another message on the 347 Spatula Hotline. Hi, Dave and Ethan. It's weird. The Al Yankovic story animation producer by way of Augenblick Studios, Josh Pilch. And I'm here with a very special DVD watch of weird The Al Yankovic story. I am currently in a Walmart in Warminster, Pennsylvania. Special correspondent Sandy Pilch is nodding. Uh, and I'm looking to see... If they have a copy of a DVD or Blu-ray of Weird, the Al Yankovic story, and in fact, they do. I'm looking right at it here on an end cap, no less. Um, looks like this is, this is just a DVD, no Blu-ray, but, um, and there's only one copy. Now, I, I've got a copy already, so if anybody is looking for one, You'll have to go to Warminster, Pennsylvania and find the end cap. It's right next to a collection of the Expendables 1 through 4. So if you want, you could have a pretty cool quintuple feature. Now, I just need real quick to find a Walmart employee. Uh, <laughs> excuse me, uh, ma'am. 
Uh, do you know if the animated segment still appears in this copy of Weird the Al Yankovic Story? What What do you mean you don't understand? No, see, I worked on this movie, Weird the Al Yankovic Story, and I'm always a little bit concerned whether or not they've cut out the animated segment because that's the part that I worked on. Usually David Ethan helped me with that, but uh, wait, where are you going? What do you mean it's the holidays and you're extremely busy? Is this something I said? Come back. All right. Well, uh, I guess whoever comes to Warminster, Pennsylvania, I'll have to find out for themselves. Uh, this has been Weird, the Al Yankovic story pro- animation producer by way of Augenblick Studios, Josh Pilch. See you later. Wow. Thank you for the excellent call, Josh and Sandy and random Walmart employee. While we can confirm that your animated segment was in our copies of the film, just to be sure, we have sent out intern Frank to Warminster, Pennsylvania to pick up that DVD to ensure that that copy also includes the animated segment. We'll let you know what we find out, but be advised it may take a little while since we asked our intern Frank to make the journey on foot. And we also asked Frank to pick up some bowling balls and a few dozen pocket fishermen from a store that's having a a really good sale uh, over in Oregon. Whoa, that sound means we have yet another message on the 347 Spatula Hotline. All right, Frank, let's hear this one. Hey, Dave. Hey, Ethan. It's Kenneth from Washington. Hey, I wanted to thank you both for another year of amazing podcast interviews. Wow, it has been absolutely bodacious. And also, I hope everyone's had a great holiday. Can you believe it? Another year's gone by. New Year's coming up, 2024. What's going to be in store for us? Well, we'll just have to wait and see. But anyway, thanks, guys, for all that you do. Appreciate you, and happy holidays and a happy new year to all the other podcast listeners and Weird Al fans. Take care. We'll see you next year. Aw, thank you, Kenneth. Thanks for all the love and kind words. We appreciate you, too. With this week's Emmy news and the other awards, it seems like 2024 is already off to a bodacious start. This episode is brought to you in part by Discover Darwin, promoting tourism in Darwin, Minnesota. Not only is historic Darwin, Minnesota a beautiful, it's also busty. Enough time has passed that we now feel comfortable sharing that Darwin, Minnesota was in the news for something truly despicable and disgusting. That's right. In September 2023, two men were busted with two and a half pounds of methamphetamines by the Drug and Gang Task Force and Meeker County Sheriff's Office. Okay, okay. And now for the despicable and disgusting part. While one man was from Darwin, Minnesota, the other was from Litchfield, Minnesota. Wait, did you say Litchfield? I thought you were going to say he was from Dassel. We don't have an extreme hatred and turf war with the town of Litchfield. Really? I swore we hated Litchfield, too. Nah, Litchfield is good people. We like them. Wow, I stand corrected. I guess this whole thing wasn't so despicable and disgusting after all. So visit Darwin, Minnesota on your next squeaky clean expedition. Discover Darwin more than just a twine ball. And after you visit Darwin, Minnesota, be sure to attempt to visit discoverdarwin.biz. Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast is brought to you absolutely free thanks to our incredible sponsors, Burrito Burrito, Wizard Burger, our very own Jackson Scoggins, and Discover Darwin. 
Our podcast is also supported by everyone else in our Patreon family, with special thanks to our amazing close personal friend level Patreon supporters. Matt, Zeb, Zach, Blair, Ajax, Gus and Alicia, Adriana, Jake, UH Jeff, Kenneth, Allison, Dana B, Casey, Scotto, Javier, Kev, Ron, and also thanks to Rim Jams, Jared and Rocky, and everyone else in our pretty stinking majestic Patreon family. If you enjoy our family-friendly Weird Al podcast, as heard in the commentary track for Weird the Al Yankovic Story DVD and Blu-ray, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash 2000inch. There are awesome benefits like getting your name on the podcast, your very own private RSS feed, which gives you early access to each and every single one of our bonus episodes, as well as the self-satisfaction of doing something important with your otherwise pitiful, meaningless existence. Once you join, you'll be the very first to hear our bonus episodes the instant that they drop. And don't forget to check out our official merchandise over at shop.2000inch.com. All proceeds from your purchases go directly towards supporting our fine podcast. We love hearing from our listeners and other Weird Al fans, so be sure to join our Facebook community over at group.2000inch.com and visit our Discord server for even more riveting Weird Al and Red Rumpa Goody-related conversations. You can find both of them linked on our website, as well as information about past episodes and guests over at 2000inch.com or weirdalpodcast.com. Keep up on new episodes, podcast news, and events by following at 2000inch on Facebook, X, Threads, and Instagram. And be sure to subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. Not only does subscribing help the podcast, it'll make sure all your New Year's resolutions will come true. Plus, we also love it when we receive voicemail via official patent-pending 27-hour-a-day podcast hotline 347 spatula, as seen in the Illustrated Al, the songs of Weird Al Yankovic. That number is 347-772-8852. Give it a call or a text, and you might even hear your message in a future episode. Thank you once again to our guest, Colin Davis, for joining us this episode. We will have more with Colin on the next episode, so stay tuned for that. Thank you to Devlin Wilder, Eddie Schmidt, Javier Valdez, our very own Jackson Scoggins, Sharon Bailey, Joe Jaffa, Isaiah Ferguson, Chris Sear, Sheepdog David Grant, Santa Claus, Lee K. Seitz, Claire Walsh, Ron Jr., Josh Pilch, Special Correspondent Sandy Pilch, Random Walmart Employee, Kenneth Gwinnup, our very own UH Jeff Nucera, Kiki, Cody Rhodes, and Daniel Radcliffe. Thank you to the Grammy Award-winning Jim Kimo West for our incredible podcast theme song, and thank you to the now Emmy Award-winning Weird Al Yankovic, as his podcast probably would not exist without him. And a big thank you to all of you, our loyal listeners, subscribers, Patreon supporters and sponsors, and everyone else who makes our podcast possible. Thank you for choosing Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, and until next time, remember to gill and chill, keep listening to Weird Al, and stay cheesy! Okay, now can I please give my acceptance speech? Oh, sorry, looks like we're out of time. What? Just kidding, Dave. However, I do wish to give my speech first. After all, my name does come first alphabetically. No, it doesn't. Rossi comes before Allman. Oh, I meant my first name. D comes before E. Our middle names. Come on, my middle name is Paul and yours is William. Still a big nope. 
Okay, but I meant our official biker numbers, Dave. Nice try, Ethan. But number seven is before number eight. Well, I meant the order our names appear in the credits of Weird the Al Yankovic story. Seriously? They thank Dave, then Ethan. Okay, fine, in the commentary track. Sorry, Weird Al says my name first. But my name starts with a vowel. Surely that counts for something. It sure does, but not for this conversation. And there's an E in Dave, but no D in Ethan. Legally, my name is David, and there is no E in that. Yeah, but your nickname is Elvis. Ha! Elvis alphabetically still comes before Ethan. Okay, but come on, I'm older. No, you're not. I'm taller. Also no. Longer beard? Probably not. Ethan, come on, seriously? Yes, and, well, uh, uh, I wear glasses. What does that have to do with anything? Well, you had LASIK surgery. I have an ocular disability. Okay, I give up. Fine, Ethan. Thank you for finally seeing it my way, Dave. Well, not technically my way, because I wear glasses and you don't. So there is an inherent difference between how we actually, literally see the world. Just give your speech! I would, but... Now we really are out of time. That was Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 217-inch. D before E, except after C! Now, I'm happy to hear that you thought very highly of Daniel Radcliffe and most of the casting choices, or all of the casting choices for Weird the Al Yankovic story. Were there any particular roles that perhaps were hard to cast? Well, yes, there was. Uh, there's that biker uh, bar scene where he sings um, I Love Rocky Road, and there's these two biker roles, Biker 7 and Biker 8, and we must have gone through a 100-plus auditions from big-time celebrities, big-time actors, you know, many of them method that really wanted to play those biker roles and just had to reject them. They just could not, you know, could not do the job. Uh, and then we saw you guys, and finally, I mean, after agony uh, to see you guys, we were like, that's it. They're, they're the bikers. That's Biker 7 and Biker 8. Um, and uh, outside of that, though, everything else casts so smoothly. <laughs>